God of the universe, maker of the stars, who am I that you would know my name? Welcome to Life on Purpose, episode 37. If you've ever wondered what it would be if we took David Covert and Ryan Cribs and molded them into one person, well, there's the face right there. Alex Stiles, welcome to Life on Purpose. Thank you. It is an honor and a privilege to be hanging out with y'all. I mean, I hang with y'all, y'all nearly every Shabbat, but it yeah. is an honor to be aboard with uh, Life on Purpose here. Well, it's good to have you. I uh, So David and Ryan are right now up in Whittier, North Carolina, a uh, place that I was at this morning. I got up there in time for breakfast and uh, I endured the the youth camp food. It wasn't that bad, actually. We had some turkey sausage, but uh, <laughs> had a great time with the young people there. And um, you know, the next big thing on our agenda, Daniel, is what? Revive? It's coming up in a couple of weeks. It is. And yep. let me tell you, the excitement that was in the room this morning, uh, put your seat belts on. It's going to be fun. All right. Yeah, it is. So, um, Alex Styles is um, someone that has been uh, a part of Daniel and I's life for uh, a couple of years now. We just did a an interview, a uh, little bit more about who he is in that interview. If somebody wants to get it, they'll be out in July. But um, Alex, you've uh, you've been in this walk for what about a year and a half now? How is how has life changed in the in this these last months? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, give us the meme of how it started, how of... it's going, right? <laughs> uh, wow. So, yeah, it's been a, definitely been a big, a lot of changes, I suppose. Like, man, you know, when you start living your life, like, God is no longer a clockmaker God to you. Whether people express it or not, there's this idea that God is the clockmaker, that he built the universe, all the pieces work, he puts it together, and he leaves on the mantle and walks away. Um, and a lot of people live their lives as if God is just the clockmaker. Mm. Sure, God of the universe created everything, but it is a whole nother, it's a whole nother level of existence, a whole nother level of walk with him to start living your life as if he cares about you and as if he is involved in your everyday walk of life. Uh, it is not always a comfortable feeling, but it is definitely a, a massive change in your life for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit, but uh, before we do, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you, all your, your family life and, and what you do in, in, uh, in in this this life that the father has called you to yeah so um i uh born and raised lived a uh, southern baptist so grew up in church um uh went to college straight out of high school became a nurse uh, i've done that for about 10 approaching 11 years now so i'm an intensive care unit nurse is the day job um wandered far away from God during that time, uh, met wonderful woman 10 years ago. Also, uh, last semester of nursing school, actually, it uh, all happened simultaneously, uh, who became my wife, uh, Mary. And then uh, we were blessed with two 
children, uh, James and Judd, who feature rather heavily in this story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they mm. do. Uh, and yeah, I got came on board. The go ahead. I was just gonna say I gotta chime in, or I don't know, I don't want to get it. Ugh, it's so hard not to jump in, but I gotta let you keep going. I have, I have to hold my tongue here. Yeah, and and and, and by the way. Uh, Alex just about an hour ago did his first interview, uh, audio interview with me. And this is his first time ever doing a program like this. So, uh, yeah. anybody, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> we're not going to try to feed him to the wolves uh, yet, but, uh, so go ahead, Alex. <laughs> sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I stepped into the, the Torah walk a good year and a half ago. So roughly a year yeah. and a half. We've made it, made it through a full, Full cycle now. Yeah, I stepped in the Torah walk a year, a half ago, and uh, was very much, you know, uh, however you want to approach this, but very much brought into it by, led into it by my sons, if you will, who kept talking about this Mr. Mike fellow. And uh, I had to figure <laughs> out what all this was about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, I'll jump in. I'll jump in there because my, so I had met James and Judd maybe a couple times like through the years because you all live in close proximity um i had met mary your wife uh, mm -hmm. again just a, a couple times over my um you know up to five years at this at that point um <clears throat> so very little context knew very very little about you, uh, mary your kids knew nothing about you um and so we start uh meeting more regularly as a group with you know me dad and um, some other families, we start meeting somewhat more regularly in dad's basement, um, <laughs> really the infamous starting point. Yeah. And uh, Mary and James and Judd just kind of started coming to me, it seemed very much out of the blue. Um, but my first impression of James and Judd were that they're, you know, people, people have this common image of a child's eyes glued to a screen, um, you know, just like captivated by whatever is happening on the screen and whatever intensity you've seen in a child, like think of the most intense child you've seen watching a movie, just like blinkless, uh, you know, just absolutely glued. Now take that and transition it to two young boys listening to my dad speak and me lead worship. It was, and I'm, that is absolutely no exaggeration. Like they were, that was, and that was my first impression of them when we started meeting more regularly. It was just intense focus. And I was like, who are these children? <laughs> yeah. It was insane. <laughs> I mean, we were having conversations going, are these children, is there something wrong with these kids? You know, they didn't play. They just <laughs> sat there and just, I mean, Bibles on their laps and they're, and uh, so, Alex, you know, the, the rumor is that you were kind of a, a good person, quote unquote, in those days, but uh, maybe not really living where God wanted you to. And you had a wife that had this problem. She decided to pray. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm living in a... Uh, I'm in a state of where I'm an intensive care unit nurse. During COVID, uh, people are dying every day. I, I don't go a single day without watching, seeing death and, and pain and suffering. And I'm not coping well. Um, uh, but at, during this time period, like 
I'm still what everybody would call, and by other people's report at the time, a good person. Uh, and I believe that that's one of the devil's favorite places to have people, right? I'm a good person, mm -hmm. but I'm not doing anything for God, right? Wow. Right. If you're in a terrible spot in your life out there committing crimes and, and, you know, in some terrible spot, you know, people, you can recognize that you need to be pulled back from that. But if you're a good person, you don't need anything. You're fine. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm at. But I'm in a deep state of, of depression. I'm in this deep state of like where I've reached the point in my life that I'm just going by minimal functioning and I'm looking for something to make me happy, right? Because nothing, there's no hope in the world. Yeah. Gloom, doom, world is ending. I got no faith in there being any kind of future of any kind. And my wife starts praying. And I don't know this, but I can tell you, looking back, I can tell you almost to the day, she starts praying that I will be satisfied by absolutely nothing except God in my life. That is not a pleasant prayer to be on the receiving end of. It was really unpleasant. <laughs> and I can tell you to the day, because let me tell you, uh, God answered that prayer. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, Alex. Now, leading up to this, your wife had started in this walk uh, quite some time earlier, but actually had not yes. told you that she was doing this. But uh, exactly, you, you noticed that there was some things missing in your house. Yes, yes, it was very strange. It was very strange. My wife uh, is an absolutely fantastic cook. Like. Oh my word, the woman yeah. can cook. Okay, yeah. anything she wants to. <laughs> and it turns out she's been quietly following this Torah walk for some time, but was afraid that there would be conflict in her house. And I was Southern Baptist. I went to Southern Baptist, and she was going to leave me as the spiritual leader of the house. She was giving me that honor, even though I'm not doing much for it. I'm not really leading like I should be, but she's still giving me the honor and respect um, as leader. Um, but the problem was, it was really weird, but there was no bacon in my house, man. It's the strangest <laughs> thing. She's like, I just don't like it. And I'm like, be like, ma'am, babe, you know, you cook so well. Man, my grandma, she used to make pork chops, man. Those were good. I haven't had shrimp in forever. She's like, have I not cooked shrimp for you, dear? I didn't know that. I'll have to cook that at some point for you. And you know, man, there was never shrimp on my dinner table. And I just really didn't know why. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's the strangest hilarious. thing. <laughs> it really is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. So, so what was, um, did, did you know when she started kind of attending, um, our, our meetings more often, like, and what was, uh, what was, what were the, the real changes at that point that you noticed? Uh, there weren't a lot of changes for me to start with. The first changes I noticed was when uh, once she found Mike as her pastor, I think something about having the support of Mike as her pastor, she was like, well, maybe I can then work to bring my husband into this because she's walking quietly, but she was walking it on her own, walking the whole faith, probably five, six years, really on her own in this. And once she had the had you and Mike and them as the uh, support there, she's like, well, maybe I can start asking about it. So she started talking to me about observing the Torah 
like, I know what that is. Those are the first five books. I, I, knew, this. <laughs> I knew this. I knew this. Uh, I didn't know anything else about it, but hey, so, uh, and my initial answer as she's talking was like, well, I don't see anything wrong with it, but like my immediate question is, is this Mike fellow, is he teaching you any way into heaven except <laughs> through Jesus's salvation? And she's like, no, only way. I'm like, well, then, okay, I don't, ask you, I don't think you're doing anything wrong, but, like, these are just old tradition things. Like, you don't really need to do these things, but, I mean, if you want to, okay, okay. So there was actually never any conflict between us in it. I was like, okay, you can. And then these boys who are, if you told me my sons were behaving in that manner, I'd be like, no, no, then, then wait, Judd is sitting still for like an hour straight no 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 you got the wrong kid but i start coming home at the end of these saturdays and i start getting the cliff notes i got to start getting the entire sermon of uh, mr mike said this and mr mike said that and i'm like okay yeah yeah that's true god said this and this burke whatever because i'm not reading the scriptures but i still remember them because i've read a lot of them and uh then things start getting serious they start asking questions about like changing their lives like my sons want to start living differently based off of what um, what mr mike is telling them and i don't remember what the first really deep question they came to me was but i remember looking for my bible because i had to find it first and quite literally literally clean the dust off of it wow. and opening it up and going for yeah. whatever it was that they asked me for and my statement in this is that God meets you where you're at. Because if God had shown me a picture of here, Alex, this is the pinnacle of, of what I want you to be. And this is the pinnacle of what you could reach in service to me. I'd have been like, no, I'm nothing. I can't reach that. Like, no, would have done nothing. Meh, moved on, wouldn't have changed anything. But he met me in my state of depression. He met me on those things that I had refused to back down and let go of that I'd set myself some minimum standards that I would provide for my wife and children that I would look after my children. Um, and then these kids, they want to start wearing these tassels on their belts, call them zeet zeet or something like that. I'm like how many Z's and E's do you spell that with? You're like, I have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> it gets to the point they're asking questions that I cannot answer by just reading through my my king james scriptures and i'm answering questions that i can't answer based on my southern baptist teaching and that's how god pulled me in to this walk was he met me where i was where the only standards i hadn't dropped and hadn't let go of looking after mm. sons and that was what brought me how i showed up now we have to talk about the very first service i show up to but uh, this is what brings me to <laughs> stepping into Shabbat and uh, and and actually attending these services myself versus getting them verbatim secondhand <laughs> from the Cliff Notes mm -hmm. every Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I want to jump in there and just like reiterate what you're saying because that's so so good um, because there are too many people who think that God needs them to be perfect mm -hmm. in order. to to follow him he they they have this false perception mm -hmm. that um you know god has this huge list of requirements and if you don't meet all of them then sorry you're not in you got to go keep working on stuff 
Um, but just that, that part of your testimony of just literally using the things that you had and meeting you, it, it just, it shows so much how much he wanted you in his camp that he used the exact things that you had and the desires that you had. Um, that's, I just, I love that. Mm -hmm. Now, Alex, to, to, uh, we'll go to that first service, but, uh, what's interesting is that after you made this embrace of, mm -hmm. it's not just the lifestyle of Torah, but it was to, to come to the place of relationship with your creator that was his standard, not your minimum standard. Um, once you made that, all of a sudden, I noticed that James and Judd are not paying as close attention to me anymore. They're, they're like playing with the other kids. And it, it just yes. finally dawned on us after a while that, uh, that the Almighty had literally just tapped these two on the shoulders and said, you need to mm -hmm. be the, the little child that will lead your dad. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, and, uh, it was. It was, it was during exactly. Passover that we figured that out because um, you you were on a shift that you couldn't get off of, but Mary and the boys came. And um, I had I had instructed everyone that was going to be at the Passover uh, that time to come with stories of deliverance. Um, and that was the first time we had heard that or that it was like a solid connection that um, they had essentially become kids again. Mm -hmm. um, and I was I was absolutely floored when yeah. when that realization just dawned upon everyone, like how God had just absolutely flowed through these children in a in a, an incredible way and then was gracious enough to let it be a seasonal so they could get back to being kids again. I just, oh man, that just, it messed me up. It was so good. Yeah. A uh, season, Daniel. Yeah. I, uh, yep. I, 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 I teared up a bit there when I, when I figured that out myself as well. Cause I'll tell you, I spent those first few Shabbat services spending about half the time looking at Mike and half the time being like, who are these kids? Because <laughs> they're not mine. <laughs> what are they doing sitting here? Is this, is this my offspring? Straight with their Bibles in their hand. <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's uh, wild because it was the week. Uh, the Congregation of Life Assembly gifted me with a copy of David Stern's translation um, of, of the Bible. Yeah. And it was the week that I spent it uh, reading through seeking my own answers in this i will read all of this from the perspective that i should be following the written torah as well as the living torah and it was that very week uh the next shabbat after i make that decision uh my children are children again <laughs> at service wow uh, and i didn't again not until y'all point this out looking back do i recognize it absolutely god laid his spirit on those kids to uh to bring them in to me and i had to get further in my walk and closer to my walk before i would even believe this because uh mm. and and i wouldn't even consider this as a possibility really until i looked back later because i believed uh one of the two greatest lies that uh the devil's ever created you know the devil's first and greatest lie was to convince people he did not exist okay his second greatest lie is what we've already touched on, that God is the clockmaker God who created the universe and stepped back and he's just somewhere out there. Um, I didn't live my life or believe, uh, I didn't live in a manner that said that 
God is involved in your day-to-day -day life and that his spirit is here and now and lives with us. Uh, the Holy Ghost was something that visited on occasional Sundays when everybody got to shout amen. I don't mean that in complete mockery of, of my, I learned a lot from the Baptist church, and but there was not, uh, didn't see them living their lives differently because of uh, their services, because of attendance to service with, um, because of God, rather than they just, it was a social gathering. I saw a lot of just social gathering there. And it took meeting people who uh, live their life the same at service and same during the week, who wore those easy through the week, who not as just something to wear, but who believe that we're called to be different and to live differently. And that took that gradual, and you, Daniel, were a huge influence. I was just blown away when you... Um, you invited me over to your house, and uh, you were the first church family member to ever invite me over to their house outside of service. And I don't mean just here in Life Assembly. I mean in all my 32 years, right? Wow. Uh, and just the conversation and the dialogue with that was that the concept of church family actually became a real thing as well because it wasn't a real kind. I thought I thought it was the corniest thing anybody could ever say. We're a family. I hated that saying. All right, not gonna lie. That was the corniest thing anybody ever said because it didn't exist for me. I didn't. I didn't see it as the truth uh, until I had this fellow named Daniel that like became family. Until you know, your friend, uh, our good brother and friend Chris Sharp. Until he became family. Uh, started to say not of blood, but uh, especially of blood, if you will, follow it. The family, a family under the blood of Yeshua. And uh, yeah, I had to meet people who lived their lives as if the spirit was real and moved through them every day and lived their lives and made decisions in their lives uh, to walk differently because of that. Mm. I think um, it didn't take long to figure that out either. Yeah. Was it the second service you said? It was about the second service you were saying, Mike, that I figured out there was something going on? Yeah, yeah. You just came to me and said, uh, you said, there's there's something real here, and I want to be a part of it, uh, which was really yeah. different than the, uh, I'll get back right with you, Daniel. Uh, well, kind of the first service you showed up to was uh, a little unique from your point of view, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um so I'm Southern Baptist, right? So quiet. There, There is the noisy pew. There's the amen pew, but I don't sit in it. All right. Uh, quiet. <laughs> sit there with your, with, your, with, your, with your Bible open. The choir sings. You don't. You, you, only, you only sing if you go up there with the choir. And, you know, this is just the culture shock of it. Okay, very quiet. Southern Baptists get there early to get your pew, and so you don't have to talk to nobody. So naturally, the first service God <laughs> brings me into with this Torah walking, the Torah walk would be the last night of Sukkot. Oh, and y'all start dancing around with plants. <laughs> <laughs> the lulav oh, and the etrog. And, and I remember <laughs> we were all you know, yeah. doing the shaking of the lulav. And, and I looked at Alex and... And I just kind of, you know, I didn't say anything. I just looked at him and he's got, his eyes are like, 
like this. Look, literally the <laughs> raccoon looking at truck headlights. He took a step oh, back man. and he was like, no. <laughs> what is going on right now? <laughs> and so oh, this is man. where he did yeah, the, what infamous, a, uh, the, the infamous what on the way home said, I will never do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that is that's quite exactly that one, what I yeah. said. Yeah. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah. We, uh, uh... oh, well, then, and then the following, uh, hold on. Um, I'll, I'll get back to what I was going to say in a bit, but no, then, and then the following Sukkot, I mean, who had the most decked out Sukkah of our entire congregation? Oh, there's are... Alex. Alex did. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, just mm. like I mean, we we went down there, and the whole the whole entire porch. I mean, I think you said you were planning on maybe just doing a part of your porch, but the entire length of your porch was completely decked out with like you know bamboo and you know uh, branches on the top, completely custom, and uh, you you did rope ties too, didn't you? I did. It was. I, I did. Mean, it was I, I drilled holes three spot and tied them all. Uh, well, that's the difference. You know, the, the first sukkah I built was pretty pitiful. Uh, I built it, I built my wife a sukkah the first year. And that's exactly how that worked out. I, I, uh, uh, I built my wife a sukkah because I could see that it would make her happy. And that was a pretty point in my life where there was no joy in my life. But I could see that other people could be happy. And I was vicariously taking part of that joy, I guess. When I built my wife, mm -hmm. and I thought it was pitiful, but she loved it. It made her so happy. I'm like, let me, it was like, you want me to put scrap lumber together, leave it up for eight days, and then tear it all down? Yeah. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> okay. A year later, a year later, I built God a suka. And if you have never, with your own hands, built something and said, God, this is for you. And there was no need to vicariously feel the joy that because when though I built it for my wife, I could not feel the joy. I promise you, if you build God a suka, you can feel his joy that you have done what he commanded you to do and that you have created that mm. thing for him. Yeah. Go ahead, Daniel. Hmm. Well, I kind of complained. Yeah, of course, you're going to pick on me right now. That was. Yeah. That was, ah, gosh. <laughs> I'm not going to pick on me. And it's, I, I, I mean, we're just, it's so easy to validate what you're saying because we were there and we felt it. You know, you go, you go somewhere and you can feel what went into it. And it just, the, it's so beautiful that you have these night and day comparisons just from year to year and um mm. man i just I, I love that and and i have to say that you know you're you're talking about kind of your uh your situation your testimony from your point of view watching us and then kind of going into that and it was just as incredible to be on our end watching you um and i just remember like at every point mm. i was so because you know, because I only knew just a tiny bit about you, you know, I had only like, yeah, you know, he, he 
let's marry do her thing and you know that that kind of thing but i i start watching you like um just slowly start to invest in this and then all of a sudden when you're in you're, you're like in yeah and i loved that so much that every <laughs> step of the way because you know you are you're very smart you're very you're an intellectual person and um you love to study things and you bring out these points about things that i would never think of and uh, you're like ryan in that way like you guys can yeah. both just like pull these quotes out of thin air and like quote these um you know really not very well-known pieces of literature and it's super cool um but and so you we talked one time that you that was that was you finding your worship was was through like the study mm -hmm. of scripture and through the the understanding of scripture um because i remember you know you were kind of hashing through what we all hash through at some point of if i don't identify or if i don't um feel what others are feeling during musical worship then there's something wrong with me but then as you go on you learn well okay everyone's different and they're going to find different levels of meaning and different things um and so i knew that about you that you know you were a person that identified more with the scripture as your worship than with music as your worship yeah and yet still uh, i remember we went down to that meeting in blue ridge and i was watching you and you were you were in it it was not the area that you identified with but you were in it and it was like that with everything mm. it was like that with sukkot and the suka it was like that at, with the with the music and um just watching you see that this is something that i need to be a part of and so i'm going to throw myself into it um i think it's james that talks about that um in the scripture of just like you know whatever you do put your whole being into it and that was that was you through the whole process so let's let's turn this a little bit to a different place um alex you were in a a very very difficult uh depression and um you mentioned yes. in our interview a little while ago uh an analogy of telling a person well just you know just just get get over it kind of thing could you give me that analogy again mm -hmm. absolutely so um to have someone i'll give a coverage i'll give kind of my full spiel on that there's Broadly speaking, there's two forms of depression, if you will. There is the situational depression where uh, you've lost a child, you've lost a wife, and something of that horrible nature has happened, where you go through and to be incredibly sad and for the world to seem a darker place by that would be a very expected scenario and something that should be worked through. Then you have a uh, chronic depression in which you have that you can be well aware, you can be living a good life, and literally due to a biochemical shortage in your brain, you're incapable of feeling the joy at the time. And to have someone who's in the middle of depression, to tell them just be happy, there's so many wonderful things in the world is the exact same as telling someone who's choking, just breathe, there's plenty of air. Mm. Intellectually, mm. they're quite aware that there's plenty of air to breathe. Intellectually, you are very much aware that there is happiness and joy out there. You are incapable of feeling it. And so 
we touched on this there where we were talking about, well, how do you help somebody in that situation? And, you know, being bubbly and bouncy and happy around them, like it just doesn't help. Like, no, it doesn't. Be steady there for them. Be solid there for them. Because I will tell you something with deep, deep personal experience, that it is not happiness that will pull you out of depression. It is to have purpose that will pull you out of the depression and pull you through it. Sometimes you simply endure it. You simply endure that biochemical slump in which you can recognize, I am intellectually aware that the world is not ending right now, but I don't feel happy about anything. And as if you're that person's spouse, if you're that person's uh, parent, if you're that person's uh, child, you can be aware that you can ask, well, what's wrong? Is it something I did? You'd be like, there's nothing wrong. I'm just depressed right now. And if you're not inside, please understand that if you're that family, family person's loved one, their depression is not your fault. And they don't blame you for their depression. And uh, you, you're not doing something wrong that they're existing in this state of depression. Um, and if I tell somebody, ask, well, what do I need? I'm like, just don't give up on me. I'll make it through. And you, people talk about, they try to talk about fighting depression. Never really figured out what anybody meant by fighting depression. Most of the time you just endure it, but you have a purpose, a purpose that says, I will continue to get up and go and do because I believe that even though whatever I'm, nothing looks good, everything looks terrible. I believe that these things that I rise up and make myself do are worth the effort. It was worth the effort to go to a Shabbat meeting when I wanted to do nothing to do with anybody. It was worth the effort because my children gave me purpose that I would lead them. If they had a spiritual question, I was going to answer it because I was their father. And that was the purpose that I had been given. There was just, I didn't go expecting the joy or to be felt better by the joy. But what drew me in was that I was holding on. And what was the only reason I was enduring through that state of depression was I was holding on to those few purposes I still had, which was to provide for my wife and to try to be the best father I could for my children. That's, um, I was listening to someone recently and they were talking about, um, a, a song that they had wrote there, you know, a well-known artist, uh, the ones that wrote the song, raise a hallelujah. Mm -hmm. And that song was closely tied with some, some miracles that had happened for a, um, I think a, a young boy and people, most people only know that second part of the story of, you know, the song and then the miracle. But uh, the writer of this song, uh, Melissa Elser, was talking about the pressure of the, the pressure of 20 years that had been building up inside of her in order to write that song. And uh, the reason that I thought of that is because you're just talking about this, mm -hmm. this situation that you just had to endure, that you had to, uh, you know, find the purpose in. And that you're, you know, now on the other side of it, and you're, you can, you can now see it for what it was, for for what it might still be to some extent, um, and you know, just understanding that 
one of the things she said is that we give the, you know, basically we give the enemy way too much credit um, where we're too quick sometimes to pray things away when God is trying to really use something to, to teach us and to get us to a new place. Um, and had, had that been your whole life outlook was just to get this thing away then you know rather than to to stay steady and stay strong then you probably would have missed some stuff i don't know if i said that right but um yeah yeah i mean the things that we go through in life um it's what we do with it i as you were mentioning that song daniel you know my one of my favorite artists is uh rich mullins the song that uh, back in, you know, in, in my early days of following Messiah, a song that just rocked the, the, the Christian world was uh, Our God is an Awesome God. And that was, if you, you go back and study Rich Mullen's life, uh, he passed away in a car accident. You go back and look at his life. It was in a dark time that that came out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Alex, what you're describing, you know, I cannot imagine uh, a person who is, is uh, you know, has depression doing what you were doing, you know, being in an ICU. Uh, my wife has been going through some some health issues, Daniel's, Daniel's mom, and uh, I've been in ICU uh, rooms in the last couple of couple three months many more times than uh, or emergency room and uh boy talk about a depressing place there's just like nothing fun in that place and for you to be in the in the middle of that with that kind of depression mm-hmm. uh where would you have been had it not been for mary's prayer We're going to keep it real. You're looking at the point I would have could have seriously approached the possibility of suicide at some point. I mean, let's just keep it real. Mm -hmm. I was already living in a depressed state. I'm looking at feeling I'm in the middle of a plague. Uh, Pandemic's a nice word. Let's call it what it was. (laughs) I'm in the middle of a plague. Okay. I'm watching people die every single day. And this sounds weird, but worse, I'm watching them suffer for sitting in the ICU 30, 60 days, in which we know by about day 20, they're not going to make it, but it's going to take a long, long time for them to die. That was a terrible part. And working with these families that they're watching these families that gather around the bedside, and there's probably an entire teaching in this, but you watch them gather around and they start praying like there is no heaven. Um, they they sitting there praying of just bring him back to us bring him back to us let him live and i'm like look at what's left of their body look at how much if they survive this you're looking at the rest of their life lived in suffering the rest of their life lived in a nursing home the rest of their life lived literally dependent upon a a ventilator for the rest of their lives however long they live Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but so I never met anybody, and that was part of what uh, continued to make it difficult uh, as far as for my faith is that one of the worst things I encountered, and this is going to be controversial, but one of the worst things I encountered was as soon as I heard, or heard any of the family members say anything about God, like, oh, no, this is going to be dramatic and horrible and terrible because 
uh, those are some of the most uh, difficult families to work with because every uh, uh, so-called Christian family there was sitting there using God as a genie in a bottle. And that just meant that God was their way of denying life. Like, oh, no, he's fine. He's uh, God's going to raise him up. And oh. I'm all for faith. I'm all for prayer. I'm all about God conducting miracles because I promise you I've seen it. I've seen people rise up and recover from things that I did not think they would. But it's a very, very terrible thing to watch people go through this process where they stand there and praise God and they turn around and scream at you while you're sitting there doing everything they can to help their loved one. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very terrible thing to watch people who could gather and truly have the faith and pray and be like, I'll see you on the other side, brother. It's been a good life with you. Mm -hmm. wow. Never once. Never Amen. once. It was always a denial of no, no, no. You keep doing everything. I find it odd that you look back at the Greeks who sought truth without God. And they taught memento mori, contemplate death. Remember that you will die and that every day you have is precious. And they taught that absolutely every man ever born has died. So why are you afraid of it? You're going to die too one day. Like these philosophers without God reached mm -hmm. this point, this point in their life. How tragic it is that we who have you to, we've got a leader who's already been there. Like you taught a little while back, Mike, about, uh, you know, if you want to, if you got to go someplace scary, follow somebody who's already been there. Yeah. Well, we're following Yeshua, who's already been, he's died. And he came back, says, hey, I've been there. It's not so bad. I got a place ready for you on the other side. <laughs> like literally so went good. through the worst thing. Everybody could go on the other side and says, hey, man, there's a house waiting on you on the other side of death here. I've been there. But as a general, honestly, rule is what I've seen. And I guess I've probably seen more death than both of y'all combined. Uh, Definitely. It is the Christians who seem to have the worst. Those of the Judeo-Christian faith who have the hardest time saying goodbye to a loved one. Wow. And that's the best I've ever expressed it is that the prayers they pray around them are always praying as yeah. if there is no heaven. I, that so is, the absolute is, is very terrible. Program. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And so it was absolutely a terrible, brutal time to be through, watching pain and suffering every day. And whatever I did, no matter what I worked, no matter what I served as a nurse, I wasn't enough to stop it. Because that's what you do as a nurse, mm -hmm. right? You know, in intensive care, you can't save them all because they're already the sickest people out there. You know, you're going to lose some. That's how it mm -hmm. works. But you don't expect to lose like half of them, wow. right? I mean, I, I went through this period where I was charging nurse over this ICU. And we lost 14 people in 24 hours um, doing absolutely everything we could for them. And I watched nurses who came into their shift crying, started the shift out crying, knowing how bad it was going to be that night and how little they were going to be able to do about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, without having, a, but you know, my wife comes along and like, I could have been these people that I got to the point that I just accepted I was going to die, right? And I wasn't certain if I was going to die because I was eventually just going to give up uh, or if I was going to die because I 
was going to catch COVID and die. Because it was something like those Vietnam vets that were out there spraying napalm and they're like, eh, love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, that yeah. like that you just end up with this total disregard for the danger you're in. Otherwise, you wouldn't do your job, like you would be incapable of doing it. Yeah. I got to the point, I'm like, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna die of COVID one day. Like I've been here, I'm exposed constantly. It's just gonna happen. Or I might get dry because I'm going to drink myself to death because at this point it's straight whiskey every night just so I'm able to close my eyes and not see the faces of these people laying here suffering in these beds. Um, but I've pretty much given up that there was no future. All right. That's what I decided. And then my wife starts praying against me in the best and most loving manner possible. She starts praying that mm -hmm. I will not be satisfied with anything except God in my life, that everything else would feel empty. I'm like the most powerful verses that hit me in life still to this day are out of Ecclesiastes, where they're talking about all is vanity. And uh, let me tell you, I can tell you almost to the day that she started praying that prayer and that I started looking and that nothing I ever tried was filling that hole that I needed in my life. And that then led to these kids coming home telling me about Mr. Mike and uh, Mr. Mike said this, Mr. Mike said this. And I'm not going to lie, man. That's nice. I got tired of hearing that, that, that Mr. Mike name, man. I, I got tired of that. I'm like, I really don't want to hear about Mr. Mike now. I want to go to bed. I got to be up at 4 a.m. But okay, oh, my children want to talk to me. So uh, y'all are about the only good things left in my life. So yes, tell me what Mr. Mike told you to do. You're welcome. Uh, and <laughs> no, seriously, now That's amazing. I say with sincerity, thank yeah. you, sir, yeah. for your service to my yeah. children and then to me and leading me back into the path of walking with God and into the, the Torah walk. Honored, honored. Hmm. Daniel, jump in there. Yeah, I, I do have a question. Um, you know, I, I have certainly not, um, experienced depression in the sense that you are saying um but i know enough about struggles generally to know that just because you know god or just because you follow the torah does not mean you are uh, magically saved from the struggles you know they still they still exist they still love to rear their head up and the enemy still loves to use them as a weapon to the best of his ability and so um my question is you know, knowing that knowing God can, you know, obviously it changes your life, but knowing that it doesn't, you know, make everything just suddenly disappear. What, what has been the way that you have, mm -hmm. um, you know, do, do you know what I'm trying like, how have you now ex approached these I know same situations yeah. with a different mindset? Mm -hmm. So, there's this concept, and uh, you know, it's generally called the prosperity gospel of if you pray and you accept Yeshua as your savior, everything's going to be fantastic in your life. You're going to be rich. You're going to be happy. Uh, it's all going to be great. Um, but you know, clearly, that's, that's not the truth. Okay. And we come back around to this same concept of um, this you're no longer going through the depression as if you have a clockwork God, clockmaker God. You have God and you have the Holy Spirit directly involved in your day-to-day -day life. 
And so you can come along and then when you hit these bouts of depression, you're not going to pray to God and suddenly have happiness pour out about you. Uh, I have these people like, I prayed to God and my depression was completely lifted. I'm like, fantastic. Good for you. Not a thing for me. Never had that happen. Um, what I have had is God telling me, basically, there's something on the other side. I have a purpose for you. Happiness will never pull you out of depression. Happiness is temporary. Happiness will pull you out of sadness. Sadness is not depression. Sadness is a reasonable feeling to a, an event that you should feel sad about or there's something wrong with you. Uh, you know, if you're not sad when when you, uh, you know, the dog you've loved for 20 years dies, if you're not sad about it, there's something wrong with you. If you're not sad when even something worse happens of of financial crisis hits or things, you know, you should be sad. Sadness is the appropriate response. Depression is everything else gets colored, literally gets has a different color in life. Depression is the, that sadness that then leads to nothing is good, not just the one event, but rather there is no good and no happiness in anything. I've never had been able to pray and had depression lifted. I've been able to pray and know that there's a purpose on the other side. Happiness won't pull you out of depression, but purpose will see you through it to the other side. And I can truly ask my wife, like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. There's nothing wrong between us. You haven't done anything. I'm just depressed. It happens. Don't give up on me. You don't need to do anything different. Give me a few days. I'll be okay. I know it will pass. Knowing that there is a future. And knowing that there is a purpose. And looking back a bit in the conversation, you know, you're talking about complaining about these difficult things we go to that have shaped and turned us and molded us into a person. It's like that we are a tree. Like funny, I'm pretty sure he compares us to trees a number of times, right? So it's as if you were a tree, you're complaining about the rain. It's storming, it's raining, it's not pleasant, but you grow from it. And there's a whole lot of philosophy that I wouldn't know about and wouldn't have read. There's a whole lot of, of prayers I never would have prayed. And there's a whole lot of deep, profoundly held views of the world I wouldn't have if I hadn't gone through depression because there's something about painting everything gray. When you're in that depression and everything's painted gray, it gets easier to see the things that truly are vanity and truly are worthless. Mm. Um, and I'm not sitting out there advising people, hey, try out depression, man. It'll change your view on life. Like, no. But I'm saying if you've been through depression, you understand the things that are worthless and you start to understand so many things that truly are empty in the world. And maybe having gone through that enables me to reach out and appreciate the things that are important in life and the things that will actually make a difference in other people's lives as well. And maybe through this podcast, uh, my first two interviews in which I've ever reached out to anybody except the direct people I've spoken to, maybe God will have used the thing that I've been through to reach out and touch other people that are going through depression in their life. Other people that are like, well, I pray, but I don't, depression doesn't go away. Probably won't. Just keeping it real. Probably not. You're not looking for him to suddenly make everything better. You're looking for him to give you a purpose that will see you through to the other side. 
And the other scenario I wanted to cover back around to exactly what you were touching on, Daniel, where I struggled for the longest time of people are jumping up and down, screaming hallelujah. And I'm like, they feel something. Man, something is real in their life there in this worship service. But I don't feel it. What's wrong with me? And you touched on that. And I believe at one point you actually taught on that, Daniel. I'm pretty sure you taught about different forms of worship. And uh, and so I had come to realize that, you know, if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, you're like, I don't get all excited when they sing. I'm like, yeah, it's, they're singing. But I don't feel this what people sell when they just feel this welling up joy or something in them in service. I don't feel that way either in service not always uh you've seen me tear up man yeah. uh, like man that blue ridge man when they oh when they made the hallelujah man they they sang that uh all i have is my for you is my hallelujah like oh yeah that one hit me um but maybe when i hit when i get pulled into worship is when i pulls me into this when i realize just his depth and the depth that there is to the scripture. And when I get, when the dots start getting connected between his teachings, then I very much feel that feeling of worship. So if you're out there, like, don't think that you're not worshiping God if you can't jump up and sing. And if you don't feel the pouring of his spirit every time somebody jumps up and sing, we're all called to different forms of worship. Like, go back and read where Paul mm-hmm. talked about some people are the hand and some people are the feet and some are the voice. Mm-hmm like we're called to different parts and we need different parts of it uh, for us to function as a whole and to, to serve him. Wow. Well, as, as much as I don't like saying this, uh, Daniel, you got some closing words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted to say simply that I think one of the, one of the most powerful aspects about Alex's testimony is that one of the most driving factors in every step of the way was authentic people. Yeah. Not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Full stop. No perfection here. Not in a single, you know, not even all of us combined, not even close perfect, but the, when when you came, you saw authenticity. You saw people like you, like you said, that were, you know, we we strove to be the same on Shabbat as we were during the week. And you know, I, I want someone out there to hear that that if you're trying to be perfect, then stop because it's never going to happen. And a little bit of authenticity will go a very, very, very long way because we are all struggling with something. We're all struggling with multiple things. And the more you try to cover it up, the more removed from reality you get. And the more you actually remove yourself from the place of being able to be ministered to in those struggles. And so, but when you become real, I think that any of any one of us would say that we would rather be in a group of imperfect, authentic, authentic people than a group of people who are inauthentic trying to be someone they're not trying to be perfect uh when you have people come together that are just trying to be real with each other and real with god and honest then that's when that's when god can really really do some work yeah i totally agree totally agree absolutely alex may this just be the start of uh of many uh, guests hosting that you're going to do with us through the 
next coming however long it is. It's been a pleasure today to uh, to spend some time with Absolutely. you. And I know Absolutely. that you have so much more to say. And uh, well, that's that's going to be for our next our next podcast together. <laughs> so if you're out there, you're struggling with things. Keep in mind that um, he has created you, that he is he has a plan for you, for good, not for evil, to give you future and hope, so you can live your life on purpose. And um, one of the things you should be doing on purpose is, if you can. Be with us at Revive and uh, look forward to some great <laughs> things. All right. See you guys. Yeah. Till next time. Thank you, Alex. Till next time. It's been an honor. <laughs>